0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash OLLI.
1: Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, February 3rd. A look at life after deportation. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. First Lady Jill Biden is in town. She's scheduled to visit a family health center's clinic this afternoon to talk about efforts to improve access to cancer screenings in underserved communities. And then she'll speak to military families at Naval Base San Diego. There, she's expected to speak about her Joining Forces initiative, which helps military families with jobs, health care, child care, education, and more. Tomorrow, she will be visiting the Military Family Clinic at Veterans Village in Oceanside. Earlier this week, six of seven states that use water from the Colorado River agreed on a plan to cut back on water use. California was the lone holdout and submitted its own proposal. But neither plan saves the amount of water the feds say is needed. The plans come as the Bureau of Reclamation is looking for new ways to prop up the nation's largest reservoirs. Climate change is shrinking supplies and states have been deadlocked over plans to reduce demand. The Bureau is expected to release its plan in the spring. sdg customers are getting some financial help from the California Public Utilities Commission. Regulators yesterday approved moving a natural gas and electricity climate credit from later in the year to this month. SDG&E says that takes $104 off a gas and electric customer's bill. While natural gas rates are down from last month, they are still higher than they were in December. And the sting of high prices is exacerbated by colder weather, which means people are using more. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
1: The U.S. deports roughly 300,000 people each year, and most people never get a chance to legally re-enter the U.S. after being deported. Those who do often find themselves stuck in a precarious limbo. KPBS reporter, Gustavo Solis, spoke with several former deportees about their transition back to life in the U.S.
0: Yolanda Barona was detained and deported in 2011 for working without legal authorization. In an instant, she was forced to leave behind her two young children in San Diego. Barona was finally allowed to return in June, 2022, We met her in San Ysidro just as she crossed the border for the first time. Our interview was cut short when she saw her daughter and hugged her for the first time in nearly 12 years. A few months later, we caught up with Varona in her home in San Diego. She was still incredibly happy about being reunited with her children again.
2: For me, the most marvelous thing is to be able to kiss my children,
1: to hug them. Things that were denied to me for 11 and a half years.
0: Barona is grateful to be back. She lives with her husband, Héctor Barajas, also a former deportee. But their return, it just hasn't been what they expected.
1: We were homeless, like people who don't have a place to live. That was our reality. And now we are grateful for this little patio and casita.
0: She says landlords refused to rent to them because they had no credit history. They eventually got housing through Barajas' military benefits. It's unclear exactly how many formerly deported people are allowed to return to the U.S. KPBS asked multiple federal agencies, but none of them said they tracked this data. Robert Irwin is a professor at UC Davis. In 2017, he helped start the Humanizing Deportation Project. It was just after the record number of deportations during the Obama administration, and just as former President Donald Trump was regularly demonizing immigrants. And so some people imagined that they were just kind of criminals uh, or they were people who could easily readjust to life in, in Mexico or wherever they were going because uh, that's where they were from. In reality, Many consider the U.S. their home. Jack Aviles was brought here when he was six months old. He grew up in San Diego and joined the Marines. Then, in 2001, he was deported after being charged with possession of two unregistered firearms. He was allowed to return in 2019, but the shadow of deportation has stayed with him. I had to
3: work. I had to work my social. I had to establish credit. I had to rent. I had to pay bills. So, so all that is like, yeah, we got our... our to return home, but we didn't have, like, opportunities like that, like, we had to find our own jobs, so we had to find our own struggle.
0: Aviles lives in constant fear of being deported again. He says he mostly keeps to himself, avoids big crowds, and does everything he can to stay out of trouble, even when he's just walking across the street.
3: I don't, I think about crossing the street, am I jaywalking, am I not? I mean, literally, that's how I'm very, very paranoid, because I don't want to ruin it.
0: Family members, including American citizens, aren't spared from the trauma of deportation. Michael Paulson became a single father of three young boys when his wife, Emma Sanchez, was deported in 2006.
3: I held a full-time job, a part-time job, and I used to take the kids to Mexico on the weekend. Uh, it's very pretty hard, you know, a lot of stress, a lot of financial burdens, got two rents, two households of stock for food, and uh, yeah, a lot of time, a lot of stress.
0: During the long separation, Sánchez dreamed of the day when her family would finally be reunited again.
3: It feels like we are destined to continue to suffer because you have this hope and
1: optimism of coming back. But you get here and it isn't what you expected. In my case, my children grew up.
0: To ease her pain, Sanchez goes through hundreds of old family photos she keeps in boxes. They remind her of happy
2: times,
0: (laughs) but also of what could have been. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News.
1: Most deportees don't get a chance to come back to the U.S. legally. KPBS reporter Gustavo Solis also spoke to several people in Tijuana about life after deportation.
0: Ivan Hernandez works at a Tijuana call center. He likes the job because it makes him feel like home.
3: It's it's nice because you get to surround yourself with people that are like you. One is used to, you know, talking English and, you know, having fun with people that can't understand you that have been over in the States. And it's nice.
0: Hernandez is a Mexican national who was brought to the U.S. as an infant. He grew up undocumented near Las Vegas. Most people hang up the phone right away, but every once in a while, he'll get a friendly customer. He's especially excited when it's a fellow motorhead. There was
3: this one time when I had a phone call, and it was nice because I heard he was driving an engine. and I was like, oh, what kind of engine is that? It's such and such. Wow, I had a car similar to that.
0: Hernandez hadn't planned on working in Mexican call centers, but when he became an adult in the U.S., he quickly realized that he had no hope of getting a legal work permit. So in 2011, he decided to self-deport back to Mexico. It was either that or spent his life in the shadows. He's not alone among his co-workers at the call center. These jobs have become established landing spots for deportees. Their English skills are an asset, and wages there are three times more than what they would make in a factory. Daniel Ruiz started working in call centers 20 years ago. Now he owns one. Most of his employees are deportees. He knows exactly what they're going through because it happened to him.
3: It was a whole new culture to me because uh, you know, I was taken over there as a baby. So I never lived in Mexico. And coming back as an adult, it was like, it was a whole new culture. It was like, if they would have put me in China, it would have been the same thing.
0: Even though it's technically their home country, deportees aren't always accepted back to Mexican society. Ruiz says that they're viewed as cholos or criminals. He says he experienced discrimination while applying for a federal ID.
3: And one, one of the guys that worked for the government says, oh, now you want to be Mexican. It's like, what, you know, where would that come from? You know, like, you know like, I just want to get my license.
0: Call centers give deportees a refuge from this treatment. Yeah, so once you go into a call
3: center and you see people that look like you, dress like you, talk like you, and come from the same backgrounds, you feel like, kind of like at home. Like, you feel more comfortable.
0: In some cases, they can even give somebody a second chance. I did 21 years in prison, and that made me,
3: gave me a reality check. So now I come here, it's like everything's new to me, freedom, and I just live day by day, you know, just do what's right.
0: This is Omar. He didn't want to share his name because of the stigma of being a deported convict. He says the job and friends he's made through the call centers help him stay busy and out of trouble. I got lucky
3: enough that I came to my friend's house that helped me out and I was there like for a month until I got my own place and and little by little you know I learned about the call centers. I came and started working in a call center and I've been working in a call center like for three years already.
0: Every deportee interviewed for this story still has family in the US. Some of them are American citizens, while others remain undocumented the holidays can be particularly hard. Again, here's Ruiz.
3: My family's over there. I miss my family. I wish I was able to go to birthday parties, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, every time they, any, anytime my family unites, or, you, know, you know, they go for whatever party they're doing, they're always together, and I'm here. So that right there, that pain, is like was every deportee. So that's, that's the pain that we all feel. That's what unites us.
0: Ruiz co-founded a nonprofit called Borderline Crisis Center in 2016. It helps deportees adjust to life in Mexico, helping them find housing, jobs, and government IDs. His goal is to help ease the pain that he knows all too well. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News.
1: San Diego's premier rehab center for veterans is still under heavy scrutiny by lawmakers and oversight agencies. I Source investigative reporter Jill Castellano has this update.
2: Veterans Village of San Diego is facing numerous government inquiries following I Source's investigation into health and safety issues at its rehab center. A California healthcare agency has eight investigations underway and San Diego County officials still have an admissions freeze on new clients. That freeze has now lasted for 6 full months.
3: But it
0: seems like a long time.
2: That's Scott Silverman, the CEO of Confidential Recovery, an outpatient drug treatment program in San Diego. He said there are many challenges in the treatment industry, like staffing shortages and the opioid epidemic. But protecting the health and safety of clients is still necessary.
0: You're in the business to help save lives. If, if you don't know how or you can't do it anymore, you need to handle to somebody else.
2: In recent months, lawmakers have stepped in to help Veterans Village. Congressman Mike Levin and State Senator Tony Atkins said they're monitoring the situation, speaking with stakeholders, and hoping for a good resolution. Veterans Village leadership has said they continue to provide high-quality care to their clients. For KPBS, I'm Source investigative reporter Jill Castellano.
1: Source is an independently funded, nonprofit partner of KPBS. Coming up... We have details on some weekend arts events worth checking out. We'll have that and more after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
1: The San Diego County Sheriff's Department last week released body camera footage from an incident that took place in 2019 in Imperial Beach. The video shows a deputy tasing Joe Young, a black man who had come to a sheriff's DUI checkpoint to pick up his son, who'd been detained for being an unlicensed driver. The taser hit a lighter in his pocket, starting a fire. Deputies then stomped on the man to put the fire out while restraining him. Young was taken to the hospital for treatment. The charges against him were later dropped. The reason that we know about this incident and now are able to see the video is because of the work of the First Amendment Coalition. Monica Price is a legal fellow with the coalition. She said the main focus of California Senate Bill 1421 is to keep the public and law enforcement safe through transparency.
2: It doesn't matter if it's an accident. It doesn't matter you know, if it was deliberate or not. If the incident resulted in a great bodily injury,
1: those records should be released. Price said it's important for records of incidents like this one to come out so the public can see and decide if what happened is in line with department policy. In Wednesday's State of the County Address, Supervisor Nora Vargas spoke about efforts to improve the mental health of residents. Here's KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer with more.
0: Vargas focused her speech on improving quality of life for San Diego families. She said part of that means helping people keep a roof over their heads and expanding mental health care. CEO of the National Alliance on Mental Illness San Diego, Catherine Nicario, says that's especially important right now as the need is great and prevention is key.
2: The numbers used to be about one in five individuals would experience a mental health concern in any given year. That number looks like it's dropping down to one in three coming out of the pandemic. So it's it's changed pretty significantly.
0: Vargas additionally discussed strengthening public safety, reducing food insecurity, expanding childcare services, and supporting small businesses during her state of the county address. Jacob Air, KPBS News.
1: And before you go, we have some recommendations from KPBS's Julia Dixon-Evans of Weekend Arts events to check out. First, the San Diego Symphony will perform with violinist Jeff Thayer on Mozart's Violin Concerto No. 3 in G Major. It will be conducted by 22-year-old Tarmo Peltokoski. They'll also play works by two Finnish composers. This is a work by contemporary composer Kaya Saryaho. The performance starts at 7.30 tonight at the Southwestern College Performing Arts Center in Chula Vista. And if you want to check out some visual art, Electrification, Equity, and Efficiency is an ongoing series of events and workshops by six artists. The events are part gallery exhibition and part community education initiative about electrification and the future of power. It's being held every Saturday through February 18th. The group will hold free workshops, activities, and art making. Tomorrow's event is an introduction to San Diego Community Power and Gardening with Grid Gal. It starts at noon at Art Produce in North Park. You can find more details about the arts events mentioned and more at kpbs.org arts. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior producer Brooke Ruth and producer Emilyn Mohepi. We'd like to thank KPBS editor Joe Guerin for helping out our team this week. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.